That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, same old song listeners, we are here getting really into what is known as summer. If you are listening to this in the week that it is released, we are after Memorial Day weekend. Everybody's recovering. They still have the taste of grilled meat in their mouth. Maybe they're not good flossers and it's still actually between their teeth. And you've got to preach to people who are happy about coming out of a pandemic, sort of, kind of, and getting into summertime. So we have this option of track one or track two. We're going to be going through track one this summer. And uh, that means kind of walking through the story of uh, First Sammy and... Uh, Saul and David and all of that. So that's where we're headed. And uh, but before that, Jake, how are you doing? Doing great. So uh, I'm uh, actually recording with my swim trunks and tank top on, and so just ready for the summertime. So summer, summertime. Do you have a song I, that you always listen you to in the summer? I know. Yeah, you know me so well. Oh yeah, I, I got some good summer jams that I like to listen to. I love to uh, when we're up in the Catskills. I love to jam to the dead. Love the Grateful Dead or Dead and Company. I can listen to them all day long. Um, and then you hear I like, first, um, people. Jacob Smith has terrible taste in music, but Gary, go on, go on. <laughs> uh, says says only you. So anyway, <laughs> the Dead are okay. Um, They're okay. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I love um, the. There's a regular um, uh, summertime by um, Sublime. Do you remember that song? Mm-hmm. Heck yes, I do. I love that song. So that that always gets me in the summertime mood. So that's a, but basically the dead is what I listen to all summer. So. I support that. That's sort of like, you know, it's like listening to Bob Marley. Like, you know, you don't really listen to that normal times. But I love that Bob always, Marley. That always comes out in the summertime. Well, I listen uh, to a lot of reggae. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's get into it with these uh, readings. Uh, this yes. is... Um, Track one this year. We'll be walking through the history book again. First yep. Samuel. So, yeah, and then we're, we're going to be in Second uh, Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, and then today, Mark 3, 20 through 35. So, as we just begin with First Samuel, uh, this is the kind of thing where you will have to give a little historical background if you're going to be preaching on this, kind of mm-hmm. set the scene. You might have to explain why in the world this book is called First Samuel when it's actually not about him very much, although he does show up here a little bit. So this is 1 Samuel 8. So we're kind of into the story. We've gotten the whole thing where Samuel's calling into ministry and all that. And Samuel has been a, a prophet, also sort of a priest, and... Um, He's like a judge. He's and a the judge. last of the judges, yeah. Yeah. I, I like to think of it kind of like a sheriff. Like a sheriff does sort of everything yeah. in a county. They're like, they run the county. Nice. They also like are law enforcement. I picture... 
I picture like a Taliban warlord. That's well, what I picture. So, you know, but anyway, that's just me. I mean the robes, but maybe, <laughs> but not the Kalashnikov. Like, there's the difference. Yeah, that's right. So, there he, there is Samuel, and he's at the end of his life. And Samuel has these sons that have gone into the family business, the religious industry, and they are just kind of the worst. Uh, they're regularly featured on Preachers and Sneakers because they're really only into lining their own pockets and making their life easy. Uh, as opposed to, and Samuel is actually a, a good guy, good, good, good minister, but he, but his sons are not so much. So, so they the people of Israel come to Samuel and say, "We want a king." Uh, and Samuel warns them and says, uh, "No, because he's gonna, you're gonna have to pay taxes." And basically, the whole economic model instead of this sort of loose, um, almost libertarian, agrarian society that you have now, uh, if you go to a monarchy, it's all going to be about the king. You're going to have mm-hmm. to have a standing army, which is really expensive, and he's going to have to have lots of servants, and so he's going to uh, kind of use his divine kingship, divine right of kings, to kind of take all your stuff. So your grain, your vineyards, yeah. your slaves, all this sort of stuff. And they're like, no, we want it, we want it. And they yeah. say the reason they want it is because they want to be like other nations. They want to yeah. um, They want to be like all the other kids on the block, uh, you know, the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Persians and everybody else has a king. Uh, and they, so, yeah. So what would you preach about this? Well, and God and God literally says, hey, I mean, they want a king because they fail to realize that I've been their king the whole time, you know? Um, and so they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. That's what he tells Samuel. And so, and you're absolutely right. Um, earthly kings, um, you know, earth, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so, um, and you see that throughout uh, Israel's history. You know, and uh, he's going he's gonna to do what kings do. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, we've determined to have a king over us. And uh, you see that. And um, uh, right from the beginning, the way I would preach on this is that you got to, like, eventually get to David, who um, um, is God's anointed, uh, who completely messes up and is a terrible king as well. And when you get to David, then you can um, make your way ultimately to um, God gives the people not what they want, but what they need. And that's himself once again in the flesh, in the form of Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and does the exact opposite of every earthly ruler and lays his life down so that you, um, you might have a true and eternal life. Yeah, and so what's interesting is um, this passage Another direction you could take it is just to look at the human beings making bad decisions even when they know that they are bad decisions. <laughs> yeah. So and that's why you need a good king. <laughs> yeah, the the bachelor party trip to Vegas uh, is not going to be a good idea for anybody. Nothing good is going to come of it, and you can tell somebody, look, you're going to spend more money. You, you say you're going to set a limit for yourself uh, at the slot machines, but then you're going to get into it. Your judgment will be clouded, and you're going to... You're going to drain the ATM, and you're going to come home and have to have a really hard conversation with your wife, and don't do it. It's just a bad idea. And you're like, no, I'll be fine. I'm going to do it. La, 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 la. And then you go, and you come home with a face tattoo, and you reenact the hangover, and it's awful. So uh, 
but giving it's, people it goes down to information. Every, every little thing. Yeah, and, and there's this I mean, myth that if you just give people information and you educate them and you tell them if you do this, things will go well, and if you do that, things will go poorly, and people are like, I don't care, I'm going to do the thing I want to do. Uh, and this is exactly I, what happens here. And it's like, it's, uh, it's just human, human condition. So I think there's something you can say about that too. I love that, uh, last, uh, it's floating around Instagram right now on YouTube, this video. And the guy's like, last year, this time I was eating fatty foods. I was drinking a bottle of alcohol every day. You know, I wasn't exercising this year. I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And it's, but it is true. Like, I mean, you're, how many times are you told, hey, dude, you know, don't drink that much. Don't eat that food. Don't do this. You know what I mean? And, yep. and it doesn't, you're absolutely right. Information doesn't change anything. And to me. It takes a heart transplant. This, yeah. And so this to me is a little bit like the prodigal son, but experienced as a nation. So mm. when the prodigal son in Luke 15 says, I want to go, give me my inheritance now. I want it. The father does not try to persuade him out of it. He, he does the thing. And here the nation of Israel says, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. And God knows what's going to happen. Samuel knows what's going to happen. But he gives them a lot of runway to go out there and do what they want to do. Uh, and sometimes God's mercy is to let people to go out there into the world. And mm -hmm. as, as they say in AA, to do more research. That's what it's called when you relapse and you stop coming to meetings. Like maybe, maybe this time it'll work. Go out there, do some more research, see if it works this time. But just know that we'll always be here waiting to welcome you back uh, when you're ready. And so uh, the people get what they want. God, it's, sort of, it's some good parenting here because sometimes you realize you have to let the child make mistakes. Uh, and so that's what happens here. And I think to your point of King David, because King David comes next week. Like, they get Saul at the end of this passage. Uh, king Saul is appointed, the first king of Israel. And he's sort of really good looking, but turns out to be a complete disaster. Uh, and so Saul, by next Sunday, you're going to be reading about Saul being out of the picture. And then anointing King David to be the, the successor. And King David will be the best king that Israel ever has, but he is also still deeply flawed. So the message here, and I don't know if you want to kind of set it up in week one and then uh, mm -hmm. kind of deliver in week two, is like, one, you think you know what's best for you, but it's actually the worst. Uh, you might actually get the thing you want, but then you find out it's not all it's cracked up to be. It turns out we need something more. So a lot of Christians do think that the thing that will solve our problems is the right political leader. That's on a national level. Sometimes in their own personal lives, they think if they get this, that thing, or the other to work out, that will solve all their problems. And I think the whole message of 1 Samuel is like these external things that you think will fix your life, either as an individual or as a nation, tend to disappoint almost always. And ultimately, we need something more. So King David, his main role is to just point us to Jesus Christ and the need that we have for a Savior. Hmm. That's great. Well, and so then we come to Second Corinthians, and uh, and uh, basically we are in the middle of an epistle where uh, Paul is, uh, you know, I think you know, we always, you know, you know, we want pretty and flashy things. We want to be like everybody else. That's what First Samuel like uh, reminds us. And Second uh, Corinthians, uh, Paul is taking on kind of, and we're we're knee deep in a letter in an epistle where he is challenging. Uh, teachers, religious teachers, who are saying, be like everybody else, you know, and um, and you'll have these super amazing things, and uh, you want to be great like everybody else, and Paul is taking that on in a major way. 
Yeah, so the thing that, so this is the first Sunday, so, you know, we're after Trinity Sunday, we're now just going to be in the, the summer readings. The, the stoles are green, the frontal is green, you're in ordinary time, the time after Pentecost, and the, the epistle reading all summer uh, is going to, well, most of the summer is going to be Second Corinthians, and then a little bit in Ephesians, but a lot of time in the letters of Paul. So you're going to have one, two, three, four, five, five weeks in Second Corinthians, uh, and you're beginning here in verse 4. So you're beginning in the middle of the story. So each week, if you're going to be preaching through this, you're going to have to do a little bit of the context, like with if you were preaching through First and Second Samuel. Uh, you're going to have to kind of tell them what happened right before this and where we are. So what happened before this is that Paul wrote... Paul and the church in Corinth, you know, they, it's a love-hate relationship. He loves them. He started the church, but the Corinthians are, to quote Buddy the Elf, cotton-headed ninny-muggins. They just... Uh, really don't get their act together. They're a mix of um, pagan practices, and there's a lot of um, church squabbles going on, which pastor they like the best, uh, and Paul is usually at the bottom of everybody's list. And as, as you said, Jake, there's these super apostles, which, you know, they're the cool new hip pastor in town, and like Paul, we're not really interested in Paul, because Paul has so much suffering in his life. Paul is broke. Paul is not physically attractive, and uh, he's just finished this passage right before this about we have a treasure in jars of clay, and he's comparing himself to something uh, pretty humble uh, and pretty unimpressive to look at, a jar of clay, just a clay jar, but inside the jar are all these riches, because he's saying, look, I'm just a clay jar, but inside is uh, are the riches of Christ, and so he's trying to wake them up um, uh, to the reality of his ministry in the presence of suffering. The, the sort of main idea of 2 Corinthians, I think, or one of the main ideas, is suffering. Like, well, how can suffering continue to exist in the life of a believer? And even in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, he has this whole thing, like, God comforts us in our suffering so that we can also comfort people who are afflicted. So it's kind of dealing with this question. And so here he says, like, the human condition is to have an outer nature that is wasting away, to which I can testify. Uh, you know, um, the it gets harder and harder every uh, year that I'm on this planet to burn off the calories uh, that I consume. It gets harder mm. and harder to um, resist the calories when they call to me. We were talking earlier in our little pre-show uh, thing about how we're both runners, but we have we can't outrun our diets, uh, even though we're trying very hard. Um, I was eating ice cream out of the tub last night, and I'm. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm just going to come clean. I was, that was me. And I was like, well, I'm going to run tomorrow so I can do this as I f shove another spoonful into my face. So uh, outer nature is wasting away. That's the human condition. Uh, but the inner nature is being renewed. So I think it's, it's kind of a recalibration of perspective. He's telling these Christians, you're looking at the outward form of all these super apostles, these fancy preachers that are coming to you, and, uh, but you're looking at the wrong thing cause, because that's yeah. the earthly tent that's going to be destroyed. Yeah, and I think that that's an important thing you can talk about too. Is is that you know um, a theme that you can talk about in Second Corinthians is that um, you know what we receive is from God is not seen. Uh, what we receive from God is heard, and I think that that is you know oftentimes we even have super apostles today, which are always challenging us to see things and uh, and um, to look for God, but God isn't seen; He's heard. And uh, or he's heard like he's he's received mercifully when he's heard. And uh, this is the thing, you know, I mean, 
Indeed, we have been glorified, and we are seated at the right hand of Christ right now. But we look at not what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen, that which is heard, that's what he's talking about there, is eternal. And so, um, yeah, I yeah. think that that's I think a, this is a key a, thing. This is something that is often read at funerals, by the way. And if you know people that are grieving, uh, there's a word here of comfort for them. Um because there's so much of life that we don't see. I mean, the eternal stuff is really hard to see, and and uh, we are tempted to think that this is all there is. And this is what Paul is doing. He's trying to just wake people up to see that there's much more out there that they mm. that they're, they can't see, but is even more real. And I think the other thing too, just kind of to a little monergistic point here, monergism over and against synergism. Synergism is that theological and kind of pastoral perspective where it's you and God working together, synergy, we're a, we're a duo. Uh, but monarchism is this idea that God does the work. Uh, and like any dualistic kind of way of thinking, monarchism versus synergism, like you don't want to push it too hard. Like it, it'll, you know, yes, there are, you may say, but what about, and yeah, that's fine. There's, this is not like, these are not airtight categories. But I will say that your spirituality is going to be either more synergistic or more monergistic. You're going to veer on one side or another. Um, and a synergistic approach to theology might just exhaust you uh, mm. because it will ultimately, I think in my experience, most people ended up being, it's, it's really all about you and not really about God as much. And the monergistic perspective, if you're one who's going to let God be God and you're going to see God as the one who's doing the work primarily, that will be life-giving uh, because um, you have a God who's actually powerful to do things. And you see this here, uh, right at the, at the top of the passage. Um, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. So who is doing the action? God. God is the subject here. And we are the object. God is the one who is raising us. And so many Christians are working really hard to raise themselves. Uh, and um, uh, both now, sort of to increase their sanctification or whatever, um, and looking ahead to the eschaton. It's, they sort of feel like it's all on them. And uh, don't use the word mm. eschaton in a sermon because no one will know what you're talking about. But uh, this is... Um, uh, again, it's okay to preach on one verse, people. You've got, mm -hmm. you know, 10 to 15 minutes to say something, maybe 20 minutes to 30 minutes if you're a Presbyterian. But, uh, you know, to this even just, there's so much life in this. The one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also um, with Jesus. That means when it looks hopeless, God is at work and will bring life out of death. And in your life, that's, that's the same. It's the same story. This is, this is what Christianity is. Not good people working to get better, but... God raising the dead over and over and over. So you're saying you're saying we don't contribute anything. That's kind of what I'm saying. That's great. As, as you Luther know, said, a... we contribute. You know, when he was asked, "What do we contribute to our salvation?" He said, "Sin and resistance." Yeah. So I mean, and that's a perfect segue right into Mark chapter three. And let me let me let me back. Let me. Uh, sorry, I know you want to get ahead, but I just I you know there are people who are listening like, "What? What do you mean? I don't have to do anything?" And it's like you do realize that even your most righteous actions are so full of self-absorbed uh, ego that they're like corrupt. Uh, That's right. It's, it's, I'm not saying don't have a quiet time. I'm not saying don't read your Bible. Just know that when you do so, you're not earning any points with God. 
Do it for yourself because it helps you in some way. But God loves you totally. Your sins are completely forgiven. And almost every, no, I'll say every righteous, I can't do a righteous thing without thinking, wow, God's pretty lucky to have me on his team. Yeah. Uh, and and that's just the human condition. So, um, yeah, I I, this, I don't think yeah. we contribute anything because everything I, good that I. we could contribute is actually pretty jacked up. And uh, the yeah, and my point in asking that is is that that leads into right uh, into the into the gospel reading because this when you start when you start preaching that religious people will accuse you of being uh, in cahoots with the devil. Mm-hmm. You know what do you mean? Whether it's the left or the right. You know, what do you mean you don't have to do quiet times? What do you mean you don't have to strive for justice and usher in the kingdom of God? You know what I mean? And um, Honey, the and kingdom this, is already here, Jesus said. But anyways. Yeah, tell. Anyway, we digress. But, uh, no, digress the point, away. Yeah, but the point is, is that this is, this is the opening paragraph here, um, is that religious people, left or right, and believe me, man, there are some real religious people on the left. We, you know... Fundamentalism I mean, somebody, exists on all sides oh, of the spectrum. Oh, I tell you. And, uh, uh, and, and a mean form of fundamentalism, too. I mean, just as mean as anything you'd find in, like, the backwoods of a, you know, snake handling church. But um, there, uh, this, is, this is the accusation. And so some scribes come down, and here Jesus is. He's teaching. The place is packed because he's talking about himself. And, you know, and, he's, and, uh, and, uh, and he is telling people they don't need to do anything. They've been totally, utterly, completely forgiven. And the accusation comes, he has gone out of his mind. Aaron Zimmerman, your message, you've gone out of your mind. You have Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, uh, in you. You know what I mean? And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, this is where Jesus begins to make the point. How can Satan cast out Satan? And why Jesus has actually come. He's come to do battle with Satan, um, to crush his head, because you and I cannot on our own. None of our good deeds can do it. And so, um, but this is his point. But religious people, boy, they hate that message. Yeah, and the thing that has provoked this, because this is Mark 3, which is, you know, Mark, Mark has no nativity story. He just gets right into the action with Jesus. And uh, what Jesus has just done before this is he has healed a man with a withered hand, and he's done it in the synagogue on the Sabbath. So he basically, you know, usually when you shoplift, you try to not be seen by the security cameras. (laughs) You wear a really big hoodie so it can hide all the funyuns that you've stuck into the pocket there. Um, And Jesus is the opposite. He goes to the place where he's going to get caught breaking the law and he's going to be seen by the most people possible. So the rule is that there is no healing allowed on the Sabbath. That's their interpretation of the commandment to do no work on the Sabbath and keep it holy. So he goes basically on the Sabbath to the synagogue, uh, and he sees a man with a withered hand. He, he didn't. The man didn't even ask for healing. He wasn't like, can Jesus, maybe outside after church in the parking lot, you can heal my hand, nobody will have to see. We'll just do it real quiet on the DL. No, Jesus is like, the man didn't even ask for it. He just sees the man uh, and takes it on his own initiative to heal him in front of everybody. And so he is just flaunting the... Uh, his breaking of the rules in front of everybody. So that's why they say, well, yes, obviously he did a good thing. He healed a man. He's clearly got some powers, but these powers cannot be from God because he's not doing it in the approved God way. He didn't fill out the proper God form. He didn't uh, uh, give us 30 days notice. He didn't get it notarized, and he just broke all the rules. And so therefore, this cannot be a legi- legitimate healing. He must be doing it by saying, and he says, like, no, this is... This is uh, 
uh, not not what's happening. I am the real deal. I have tied up the strong man, the devil, and uh, and 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 taking back the things that he has stolen. Mm. Uh, so, the other thing that's in here is this um, this thing about the. I almost wish Jesus had never taught this, this thing about yeah. the unforgivable sin, because people freak out. They, uh, it makes and the they word freak two syllables. They freak out. They, yeah, the they misunderstand it. The scribes and the Pharisees all around us, you know, they, they love to latch onto this. So, ah, ha, 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 we found something you got to do. And I'll tell so, you, if you're worried about having committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Because <laughs> that means you still have a conscience, which is still uh, being... Um, it's activated by the Holy Spirit. And so what he says is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness. And just kind of cutting to the chase here, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not like saying some bad word about the Holy Spirit or something like that. It is, it is the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to Christ and the forgiveness that we have in him and to point us to Christ. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is rejecting that pull to Christ and that uh, offer of forgiveness. So basically, yeah. it's like the what only is, people that can't be forgiven are the people that don't want to be forgiven. Like, that's yeah, what that's, the idea is here. Yeah, Capon says that. He says, the only unforgivable sin is the sin that doesn't want to be forgiven. <laughs> right, so, exactly. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, because you think about Peter's denial of Christ three times, and Jesus has been arrested, and, and Peter's asked, don't you know him, don't you know him, don't you know him? And he says, no, like... If you want if you wanted to look at something that you think might be an example of blasphemy that's unforgivable, it might be something like that. But even Peter is forgiven. So, mm. so this is the 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 unforgivable sin is the rejection of forgiveness because you've rejected the thing that's freely yeah. on offer. There's a lot in this passage, and I would say people who are preaching pick one thing to talk about here yeah. in this passage. But the last thing you can pick up on um, here is the stuff about families. Uh, and Jesus here makes this break with his family. Uh, and that's not to say he stops caring about them, because we know, for example, from the cross, he takes care of his mom's long-term care and says to the Apostle John, basically, take care of my mom. Um, so it's not that he stops caring about them, but he does make a break from his family, which would have been unheard of in the first century in this culture. And he says that, Ultimately, my mother and my brothers, my blood family, is less of an important identifier into who I am. And what's and family is not about blood and not about genetics. Family is about um, uh, your relationship to God. And that's why the church, for example, can be a family. And again, this breaks how, how Romans thought. It breaks how Jews thought. It bro breaks everything about the ancient world, what they thought about family, which was blood was very important. Bloodlines were very important. And your clan, your kindred was like the most important thing. That's like the first priority. And for him to make family be outside the boundary of blood and genetics is a really big deal and will ultimately enable the Christian church to grow and flourish as it does outside of uh, ethnic and um, family bonds. But the, the preachable message for people is to say that because of Jesus, your family doesn't get to have the last word on who you are. Uh, most people are dealing with major baggage from their family. Uh, they're dealing with what they didn't get to work out with their mom before she died. They're dealing with a completely estranged relationship with somebody in their family. And those relationships are deep, painful, hard, and almost can never really be resolved totally. Uh, and Jesus here is saying, um, that that ultimately doesn't get to define you. That's mm -hmm. what this, the importance of this passage is. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, and I think that that's that's really important. That and that's all connected to the truly. I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins, and whatever blasphemies they utter. You know, um, it's it's tied into that the. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? Because that's the rejection of Jesus. But Jesus then comes and creates a new family, you know, and mm. um, and uh, old family, families of flesh and blood. There's oftentimes like requirements and stuff like that associated with this. But this new family is the one that um, is uh, sitting around... Um, doing nothing. Isn't that interesting yeah. going back there? I mean, they're not contributing to their salvation. They're not trying to save save face. They're not asking for a new king. They've received it. You know what I mean? And so the crowd's sitting around. And that's what makes um, makes people a family and, uh, in the Christian sense. And that's a way that you could preach it, is that here you are, even in this church, gathered around in this room, you know, and the rest of the world is sleeping in. You know, uh, here you have been united with people that probably on your own you would have never hung out with. But um, uh, sitting around just hearing this word of forgiveness that says every one of your sins are forgiven. Yes, even that one. Um, that is what creates a new community, a community that's been called out by God uh, to do absolutely positively nothing and in that change the world. Mm. Amen. Well, that'll do it for this uh, first true Sunday of summer. The um, as we as we get into ordinary time and uh, yeah, preach the word, and uh, we'll see you uh, see you sunburned people next week. All right. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.